Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name is Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with our podcast, then you know that we cover two episodes of Legend of Korra every one of our podcasts, and today we come to Legend of Korra season three episode three this is getting confusing amanda <laughs> <laughs> you know, right? season three episode three the earth queen can i be honest with you when i read the title i thought it was the alien queen i just... <laughs> <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> because i looked at it quickly and i thought of thus whatever queen and all of a sudden i thought of like the uh-huh. alien movies and i just thought of like <laughs> i was going to write the alien queen i was like nope it's not she's the earth queen okay Queen of, the African queen. queen yes, the, the African queen. Queen of the world. This episode is very aptly written by Tim Hedrick. Because as we all know, Tim Hedrick is the mastermind behind everything having to do with Ba Sing Se. Right? He, was the, <laughs> he loves that place. Yeah, he was the original. He was the writer of uh, The City of Walls and Secrets in uh, Avatar Book 2. Um, he also wrote uh, the Lake Lao Guy episode as well, yes, which like my favorite. Yeah, I was to say that's like yeah, he's he's your hero. He he gets your favorite <laughs> stuff. Bossing say because you love so much, and there was so much in Avatar about Bossing say the secrets, mm-hmm. the like it was one of the best arcs, honestly of the entire series in my opinion mm-hmm. the whole bossing say mystery yeah. and what's going on and uh what was her name again the like assistant that kept like she stepped out of line and she like disappeared oh yeah judy judy thank you i couldn't remember her name yeah uh judy okay. and then she like reappeared <laughs> later <laughs> yes yeah and the most important thing is that there is no war in bossing say exactly (laughs) i do love and we'll get more into this but i do love a good brainwashing story like Mm -hmm. i don't know what it is about brainwashing good characters to be bad but like i love that shit (laughs) right (laughs) we'll talk more yeah right bucky um but yeah we'll get more into that so let's get we will we will we will uh the episode is directed by ian graham it is animated Mm -hmm. by studio muir the episode aired June 27th, 2014, and the IMDb rating of the Earth Queen is a fairly impressive 8.1 out of 10. I think it must just be coming off of the season finale of uh, of, of season two so recently mm-hmm. that I feel like we're used to seeing such higher numbers where I'm like, what? Only 8.1? But I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. It's not a season finale anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Take us away, if you will. As always, with those fun facts, Amanda. Of course. So our first fun fact is that this episode and the next episode were leaked on June 8th, 2014 by Nickelodeon's Mexican site, Moon, Mundonic? Mundonic? I think I'm saying that yeah. right. Um, I remember this happening. This was such what? a big deal. Yeah, like I was seeing clips on YouTube and on Tumblr and Twitter and everywhere from episodes that we hadn't seen yet from season three and i was like where are these coming from and they had like the the watermark or whatever on them mm-hmm. and everyone was just going crazy because they were all like oh my god mexico leaked two episodes of legend of Korra!" like what and yeah it was like a whole big thing uh i was there i remember <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, so I, I was reminded of that, like, oh, that's right, that did happen. Um, our second fun fact is Mako and Bolin's dinner with their large extended family was based on Michael Tante DiMartino and Brian Konitsko's experience having dinner while in Korea with the families of the animation staff working on the series. Because I guess that they had all, you know, they went to the animators' families for dinner and they had all their extended family with them. And I'm like, that's so cute, but also incredibly overwhelming and scary. <laughs> it's a bunch of people <laughs> <Yeah>. you don't know. <laughs> Imagine that every time you sit down and have dinner, it's like Thanksgiving with all your relatives. Yeah, that you've never seen and like don't remember having. <laughs> um, <laughs> so our third fun fact is that Yin and her family live in the same building in which Zuko and Ira resided during the latter part of Book Two Earth of Avatar The Last Airbender. This was not deliberate. However, the crew simply found it easier to reuse the existing design. <laughs> You gotta love that laziness. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's not lazy. It's actually smart to reuse the design. It, it it actually is. It actually is. I mean, and and like it's the same building, sure. But like, is it supposed to be at the literal same building, or did it just reuse the design because it's a house in Ba Sing Se? Like, how different can it really be? Is it really supposed to be the exact same yeah. place? Yeah. No, it's not the exact same like apartment building or room or whatever that they were right, in right, right. but it is the same like apartment complex because we see an yeah. exterior shot of it and i like even rewatching it now i didn't catch it the first couple times i've seen this episode but i did catch it this time because i was like wait is that that is that's zuko and iroh's apartment like or you know apartment building yeah. so you know i think that it was cool to do that even if it wasn't deliberate um yeah. if it's not broke and- why no, if it yeah, broke, like, why not it. just reuse the design? It's so much easier than creating something new. <laughs> um, and I actually put this last in our fun facts so that we could lead directly into the episode because <laughs> to me, this was the like highlight of the episode. I don't know about you because there's three different arcs or not arcs, but like stories happening in this one episode. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I'm actually surprised how much they were able to fit into it. Because on your story A, which I find to be the most boring of the three stories, you've got Korra and Asami trying to basically pick up tax money for the Earth Queen, and they like run into these bandits. And in story B, you've got Mako and Bolin chasing after Kai, and basically running into their uh, long-lost family in Ba Sing Se in the Lower Ring. And then the third story, which is the shortest, is that you've got Zuko and Tonrock going to the North Pole, like the Northern Tribe, to basically make like make sure that Zaheer's girlfriend is still in prison is still in prison <laughs> because they've already bro- broken out the other three. Um right. and so yeah, and out of all those stories, I think that Mako and Bolin and Kai's story and like the family is the strongest, both yeah. just story-wise, but also emotionally. Cause yeah. damn, this shit got me tearing up, not gonna lie. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's extremely powerful stuff. Just it's so heartfelt and it's so mm-hmm. earnest. And it's everything that we come to love Mako and Bolin for. I mean, they are the real heart and soul of the series. And and I don't mean to add that as like an elbow back at Korra, but like right. I I am still waiting. Not 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 like a knock on Korra's character herself. Mm-hmm. I say that as if she's a real person. I'm trying not to insult. Right. Isn't this great? I, I, you know, the series has me at this point. But like, 
I've said it before back in, I think it was either the start of season two or the end of season one, but like, I wish that they would give Korra a bit more depth because like even her family stuff that got, that became the entire drama of season two, mm-hmm. it didn't give her more depth of character. We spent an entire season on, on Korra's family and it added almost nothing mm-hmm. to her. She didn't massively mature. It didn't give her a different perspective on her family. Half the time you didn't even know he was her uncle because there was no right. feelings attached to it or like anything. There wasn't like a, oh, I shouldn't kill him because it's my father's brother. It's like, yeah, no, he's the bad guy. Murder him. Like <laughs> kill his ass. <laughs> right. No, there was nothing about the way they interacted that meant that they were family. Mm-hmm. It was very Lion King you know, like Simba and Scar. But even then, Simba still treated him like he was his uncle. In in that moment of comeuppance, when he has Scar on the defensive, and he's like, what do you want me to do? He's like, run away, Scar. Run away and Mm -hmm. never come back. And even then, he's sparing him. And while it's like poetic justice that he would come back and do the same thing to him that he did to him when he was younger, he's also sparing him because he's family. Exactly. Yeah, and I you're you are totally valid in that assumption. But as someone that has seen the whole show multiple times, Cora as a character, and this is you know this is something I feel like I appreciate so much about her and the writing of her. It is such a slow burn. Like it's oh, not I, one of those. Oh, I'm sure it'll get there. It's just not happening yeah. right now. It's very yeah. gradual. It is, and I know that that will turn a lot of people off because they're they don't want to wait until basically the end of the show to see the progress that she's made. Um, but I think for me, because I'm a big fan of slow burns when it comes to character arcs, Alazuko, um, mm-hmm. you know, we see characters go through these arcs, and sometimes they regress back to their old behavior or ways, and sometimes they don't. And for Korra, it it is very much a very, very slow burn. But when you get to there, when you get to season four and you see, because this is not really a spoiler, but season four is a three-year time jump. Like, Mm, it is... You did mention there's years jumping. And there hasn't been so far. So I'm like, the last season, logically, the last season has to be the biggest jump. Because it was, what, six months between one and two, and then literally two weeks between two and three? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So they they took the plunge and they took a huge, you know, time jump. And I think that that was the bright move to make because it really does mature all the characters, not just Korra, but everybody. Oh, yeah. And they're all in different places and all that. So, like, it's it's I, I love it, but I do understand oh, where you're yeah, coming yeah. from. Oh, no. But my whole point, though, is that, like. Yeah, again, and I don't. That's I, that's why I said I didn't mean it as a knock against Korra. It just amazes yeah. me that for as much time as we've devoted to Korra in issues as intimate as her family, I think it just kind of speaks to what a big misstep they made. How 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 far down the stairs they fell in mm-hmm. season two with missed opportunities and what are we doing with this season? <laughs> you right. know that in one episode, one episode of Mako and Bolin devoted to their family we see so much development and expansion and emotional range and depth mm-hmm. explored in 22 minutes of episode than we did in an entire season of 20 ep- what, what 12 14 14 yeah, 12. 14 episodes yeah, 14. <laughs> 14 episodes basically of chorus family drama mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like no, you're not, I don't you're know not what, wrong. <laughs> like I like I, I. That's just a general statement of fact. That is not a. It's the writer's fault. That's not a anything. That was kind of the writer's fault in season <laughs> two. Like you know, take but, accountability, but it, writers. <laughs> right, exactly. But it's not like it's one person's fault. Is the point? But again, to complement the episode we're currently talking on, again, it makes so much amazing good use, and I think it's really because Mako and Bolin have. A really, how do I say this? A really, there's a, there's already a really rich context for them. You know, they are great. They're great characters on the surface. There's so much you can do with them. They're two street punks fighting in a pro bending league. They have no familial connections. You know that they come from the streets. Mm-hmm. And like, you can do all kinds of things with that. There's built in tragedy. Right. Yeah, no, I I agree. And I honestly that is something that I feel like even though it's done really well in this episode, I wish that we had seen more of Mako and Bolin. Like I wanted to get flashbacks of them growing up or like maybe just you know how in um Zuko alone we would get just those like snippets of scenes with you know young Zuko and Azula and his mom and everything. Like I wanted that in this episode where maybe I don't know, like, I'm trying to think where you could put it, like, maybe when they're sleeping in the trash on the street, like, they wake up from a dream of, like, them with their family, and then suddenly they run into the family, and they're like, oh my god, it's, like, fate or whatever. (laughs) But, uh, I don't know, I I would have loved to have seen, because I'm a sucker for flashbacks, I know that people say that they're, like, lame storytelling, whatever, as if they're done well, they're great, Um, and I think Avatar does flashbacks very well. So I would have loved to have seen more of them in Legend of Korra because we really don't get any, like, at all. <laughs> right. You know, I think if that's, I think of some of the best episodes of, Le- or not Legend of Korra, of um, Avatar and, you know, the ones that people associate with greatness, like The Storm, where it's nothing but flashbacks to Aang in Zuko's childhood. Um, and, you know, like I said, uh, Zuko alone, like so many episodes like that, uh, the Fire Lord and the Avatar and the Fire Lord. It's nothing but a big flashback to Roku's I mean, time with Sozo. Heck, like, heck, isn't technically Beginnings Part 1 and 2 just a long flashback? A 10,000 year ago flashback? <laughs> exactly, and that's the only flashback I can really think of, of like majorly at least, um, that we have. But it feels like its own thing. It doesn't feel like a flashback. It just feels like, you know, a different story that's put in the middle of Legend of Korra Season 2. <laughs> quick, quick, like, quick, like, fact check on it though isn't don't we actually though actually have only one flashback sequence and isn't it of um the story of tarlock and amon's father raising them because he's like telling them the story and that's my favorite part of the finale exactly (laughs) i'm telling you man i'm a big fan of flashbacks i want more note to self put a flashback in the book i'm currently writing (laughs) yes yeah no i can't believe i even forgot about that because yeah that is one of my favorite sequences in the first season was the flashback with noah talk and tarlock so yeah i why couldn't we have gotten something like that but for mako and bolin shit that could have been an entire episode of just seeing young you know street rats growing (laughs) Like, maybe directly after the death of their parents and them trying to, like, live on the streets and get getting, uh you know, recruited into the gangs in Republic City. Yeah. Like, I would love to see that. That sounds so cool. Like, but uh, I guess there wasn't what time. If, 
<laughs> what if the entire next season of Avatar, they're they're like listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, guys, we got it. And the whole next season, the next show of Avatar, I mean, that they do starts in the first episode with the Avatar who's the main character. And he's like, all right, gather around. Let me tell you the story. And then just starts one long flashback that's the entire series. <laughs> yes. It's like Sokka. Let me start from the beginning. And then there's you. It's just like... Yes. I'm in. <laughs> yes, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> yes, I love it. But um, yeah, so even though we don't get any flashbacks, I do like hearing, you know, the characters talk about their family and the history between, you know, the brothers and the grandmother, who, by the way, I, and I was not the only one that thought this because this was all over the Avatar boards on Reddit and everything when this episode came out. But I think we all collectively had a mandala effect for this episode and this character of Grandma Yin because we all thought that it said that the grandma's name was Jin, as in Jin, the girl from the tea shop. And we were like, holy shit, is that Jin? I am so mad that that's not actually true. Like, it's what a missed opportunity. Yeah, I know. That would have been awesome. I don't know if the timelines would have checked out or what, but like... If Zuko is still like, that would mean, mean that Z- Z- Zuko could have been Mako's grandfather. Yes, <laughs> great. Yeah, it, I was. Oh man, I would have loved that. That would have been such a great callback because I love Jin in that one episode, and like I wanted to know that my girl was okay, that she made it. <laughs> but, she made uh, it. Yeah, she made it, and that's my head cannon. <laughs> um, <laughs> she made it. And then she got with Zuko later in life. <laughs> but, that would have been uh, awesome. Yeah. Imagine, imagine if he became like Grand Emperor or whatever he became of the Fire Nation and then circled back and just like Right. Lee. What if what if she came out one night and walked through that yard and he had all and walked through and oh all of the God. things started lighting one by <laughs> one. And she yeah. turned around and there was Zuko. And he's got like a, a tea coupon. <laughs> oh, a tea God, coupon. I, yes. Oh, my heart went available. To, I literally would have probably I, evaporated uh, okay. on the spot. I'm not. I'm not okay right now. <laughs> I'm not crying. I'm oh not my crying. God. That's I'm like fan fiction crying. right there, baby. <laughs> yes. I love you, May, but come on. It was Jin and Zuko all along. If it wasn't going to be Katara, it was going to be Jin. <laughs> but this uh, is some fan fiction stuff right here (laughs) we love it um but anyway yeah so very sweet emotional scene um between and mako and their family and then we come to well Well, you know what oh you know what i want to talk about i want to talk about how i'm still not okay with kai doing this i get that it was a great (laughs) like plot thing to like get them over there but holy cow kid I know. Honestly, watching it, I still love Kai. I think he's a great character, very fun. But honestly, he deserved to get thrown in jail this time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he, if there's minute. anyone who deserved to get thrown in, like, the darkest brainwashing dungeon of the <laughs> Earth Kingdom, it's that kid. They literally bailed him out of jail, out of the literal heartfelt love and compassion. Mm-hmm. Not even their goodness, their actual just compassion for this child and the first thing he does is abandon them and start (laughs) robbing people the very thing they told him you can't do or else you're done 
Yeah. And then on top of it, he not only robs Makuma and Bolin, he attacks them and airbends them and right. leaves them stranded on the train with like, no this money kid deserves <laughs> this kid deserves a beating i know i was like honestly kai you brought this on yourself sorry kid like I know yeah i had not it, i damn. had not one second of remorse like for this child <laughs> the entire two episodes we watched i'm just I, <laughs> and I, especially the next one which i'll talk more about but mm. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Kai in these two episodes, <laughs> and I don't like. And for the record, writers, I don't like how you tried to make it like, oh, see, and he learned his lesson through the whole thing. I'm like, I don't believe it, man. Oh, you you have to show me this. I don't believe it. Well, see, so I guess I can kind of do it now because it it involves more of the next episode. But I really thought. Because they, you know, it's all like dark and mysterious. He gets captured by the Dai Li at the very end of the episode and thrown in a hole somewhere with a bunch of other airbenders. And I really thought that they were about to go all there is no warm bossing say on his ass and that they were going to brainwash the airbenders. And right. like he was going to, and like Mako and Bolin were going to have to fight him and like he was going to be all completely out of it and brain. I would have mm-hmm. loved that because again, I love brainwashing idea of like taking a good character and then you know, having them fight against their friends or family or whatever, because they don't, they're not in control. And I think that would have been such a missed opportunity. Like, it would have been so cool to have seen that, Um, you know, just like with Jet (laughs) and, you know, Aang and everybody. Um, But yeah, no, that that didn't end up happening, but missed opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it was, I mean, I'm kind of glad they didn't just like rinse and repeat the same Bossing Say storyline. So it's like, oh yeah, you go to Bossing Say, they brainwash you. Like, mm-hmm. same same thing. We haven't learned anything in 50 years. But like, <laughs> I get I get it. Like, a brainwashing story is awesome. Um, but again, we'll get more into what they actually do in the, in the right. next episode. Um, but then we also have the... <laughs> The most boring plot, the A plot, which I'm going to touch mm-hmm. on briefly because why send, like, I don't want to fall asleep in the middle of the podcast talking about it. <laughs> it it really is a huge snore fest of, like, mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was playing a video game where it's like, I'm here for this, like, quest to restore the Airbender Nation. And the NPC I'm talking to is like, hello, traveler. I can see this is your first time in Bossing Say. I'd be happy to help you. But before I do, I seem to have lost my apple cart. Would you, my oh dear, go fetch it for me, even though you're literally saving the world? I could have asked any of my underlings to do this for me. I'm like, mm-hmm. why? 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 Just, just why? I mean, I know why. So that the titular character of the show can needlessly become aware of the corruption of this official by doing what literally any of her servants could have done. Right. I mean, two of the Dai Li are literally more powerful than Korra on her best days. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it is... Yeah, even when I first watched the episode, I was like, why does this not work? Like, I get, like you were saying, why they had to do it, because we have to, like, make it... Even though it's so blatantly obvious that the Earth Queen is evil, like, to an overly cartoonish degree like you you couldn't write a more evil character if you tried. all she needed to do was like punch a baby and like that's the Literally, only other I, way yeah i believe she'd do it too but uh i'm allergic yeah, so to babies i really wish that they had 
taken the route of making the Earth Queen like a super slimy kind of character where it's almost like Long Fang, where they put on mm -hmm. this poised front, you know, just like with Long Fang when he was escorting Katara and Toph into the party, you know, at the Earth Kingdom. Um, you know, he seems like a decent stand-up guy, like very poised and dignified. And then you find out, oh no, actually he's like the leader of a giant, you know, militia of crazy <laughs> earthbenders. Well, that could, that, that could, that, and I would normally say yes, but I think they played that out a little bit between Varric and Tarlock mm -hmm. of the like right. disingenuously nice, like helpful, cool, charming, but actually evil. Like we did right. it with Tarlock <laughs> in season one. We did it with uh, uh, Varric in season two. We're mm -hmm. not going to do it with the Earthquake in season three. We're just not. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, she she's a minor character anyway, so it's not like they. She's the, she's the queen of hearts, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, I think that that they either needed to change what the actual like thing that they had to do was because like it's cool to see Korra and Sami uh, bond and you know fight off some bad guys, but there could have been a million other ways that that could have been done. You know, yeah. maybe there was somebody trying to. I don't know break into the palace and they had to fight him off or whatever and like i, I don't know <laughs> i love how that well they could have done it in any other way besides let's just have the air that i keep wanting to call it the air queen now i'm very slowly getting from alien queen to earth queen by the end of the podcast right. i'll have it right um it, it would have like they could have had oh, I'm having trouble collecting the tax money, but don't worry, like, the Daily are taking care of it in a sort of an ominous way. Mm -hmm. And then, like, later on, they're, like, doing whatever on the streets of Ba Sing Se, and they run into some guy who's, like, beaten up and wounded, and it turns out that, like, his town was, like, violently attacked by the Daily as they seized the tax money and everything. Mm -hmm. And, like, got a report of it, a first-hand report, instead of getting attacked by the guys from mad max right i know like, it was very mad max <laughs> <laughs> even when it first came out like is this supposed to be a mad max like homage i feel like it is <laughs> yes yes which like it, it definitely that's a, was yeah that's a very interesting mix up there combo um and it's also but, really stilted how they're, they're they're like they're like the rebels, but like up until the moment when Korra and Asami win, they're like a bunch of violent, womanizing, slimy gang members, and then only yeah. at the very end are they just like that doesn't belong to the queen; it belongs to the people. I'm like, wait, what? I yeah, thought you were just a bunch of like. All the people in the town are like shielding their children, closing the doors, like in the windows. Like clearly, these right. people are not good. Like right, they're a bunch um, of like rapey street thugs, and only at the end are they like noble revolutionaries. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. Although the only thing about this like whole storyline this whole a plot um that has any relevance really going forward is the line that the earth queen says about how uh zuko and ang stole earth kingdom territory yeah. to create the you know the i was gonna say the new republic republic city there we go um <laughs> the new republic <laughs> and <laughs> i'm trying to think of a palpatine line now to... <laughs> i republic. love democracy <laughs> democracy. Um, the new Earth Kingdom will be hunted down. Now, um, wait. I know what you're. Are you seriously going for? The Earth Kingdom will be reorganized yes! into the first Republic city for a safe 
and secure yeah. society. Yes, that's what I was trying to do. Damn it. Oh, I'm so mad it's that Zo- I didn't think of the line. It's Zuko in the red robes. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the, all the and, there, and there's the Earth Queen, like, so this is how liberty dies. <laughs> With thunderous applause. Yes. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> um, there's our, you know, Star Wars quota of the day, guys. Um, but... That was quality. That was good. That was inspired. That was y- yeah, you scripted right. and I delivered. We're we're a exactly. team here. <laughs> Lord. Um, yes, it's so good. But Speaking that of... is. Oh, sorry. Oh. No good. Oh, I was just gonna say that actually is a huge chunk, and I don't even know if they meant for it to be like as important as it is because they were so you know early in the season. But this is like one of the major things in season four. Like that's yeah. a huge plot point. I uh, just you saying it, I had to be in my brain like, eh, there's no time for that. Season three must be a season four thing. Didn't you tell me at one point that they like got greenlit for like they did season one and then they got greenlit for like basically in some way, shape, or form that they got greenlit for three and four together. Mm-hmm. Like, like they basically knew they were going to get a season four when they got season three. So actually you saying that doesn't surprise me. They probably were laying the foundation for it early to play the long game. Mm-hmm. And I got to insinuate from it and actually think, okay, they must have gone back to their root of why Avatar was so successful, which is they had a story in it from the very beginning, one single arc, one single villain, one single general Mm -hmm. plotline, the war against the Fire Nation, and that's going to be the story. And there will be other things along the way, but that's in general the story. Right. And so this whole conflict, like you're saying, I'm not witness to the full scope of it yet, But, like, I can see where maybe they're writing it from season three to season four, where I feel like a lot of the things they're doing here aren't throwaway, only good for the season. It's probably going to be a little bit more of what we enjoy during Avatar, which is nothing goes away, Todd. Everything comes back. Yes. (laughs) And I completely forgot that that exchange even happened in this episode, because this isn't one that I, like, rewatch all the time or anything. So I was like, oh, Hmm. boy, that is really big foreshadowing for next season. Jeez. (laughs) Um, It's so early in this season. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so, um, but yeah, there's not really much else to say about the A plot. So let's just move on to the, to the main, to Zuko, my boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because there's like 60 full seconds of Zuko in this episode and it's almost, it almost feels, except for the fact they wanted to keep the thread going week to week. It almost feels superfluous now in hindsight that there was any Zuko stuff in this episode at all, because it's like, again, it's an accumulated like 60 seconds that almost could have been the start of the next episode episode but yeah. it's okay like I, we get it you know uh it helps this episode get an extra 0.5 on the rating just from zuko being in it you know how we do oh, but yeah, um, exactly i also love I... how they're writing the elevator down yes. the conversation yep i iconic zuko being his awkward ass self as per usual i love it he's just like you know it, what, what what's so dangerous about her well she can she's a dangerous firebender that can create explosions with her mind I actually hired an assassin who could do something similar to kill the Avatar. It didn't work. <laughs> I feel the then Eska. <laughs> And then Eska. Oh, I tried to kill Korra when she ruined my wedding. It happens. <laughs> and then poor Tom been... Rock, she's like, what the hell? Am I surrounded by murderers? <laughs> it would have been great if... Uh, what's Eska's brother's name again? Desna. It would have been great if Desna said from the back, that's rough, buddy. 
That was real funny. That would have been been perfect. That would have been the only way that scene could have been more perfect than it was. Right? Yeah, no, that that one, like, minute scene is so great. Um, Very, very funny and very in character, like I said, for Zuko to be so damn awkward and just not know how to socialize with people, even as an old man. You know, he he never learned. He never learned. (laughs) But... Um, overall, the episode is really good. Um, it's it's decent on intrigue. It's okay on action. Again, like you said, mm-hmm. the best part of the episode was uh, Mako and Boleyn, and you know their whole reunion with their family. You know, there were tears, there were laughs. There was a lot that that they packed into that, and it really is the core of the episode. Um, again, the episode isn't like superbly fun. I actually found the whole like chase against Kai and everything like that actually kind of frustrating in the start of the episode. Cause I'm like, I wish somebody does something to this kid. I got instant wish fulfillment. Right. Um, so, so points back on that one. Um, but overall the episode is good. Um, I'd say it's, you know, including the half a point for Zuko, I'd say it's a, a 7.6. All right. Um, yeah, I think that I might, uh, go just a hair lower than you i think i might give this episode a 7.5 just because i think that um you know the the biggest problem being the a plot is just needlessly boring and stupid um and i think that they could have done a million other things with it but i do really love mako bolin and i like the kai stuff because like i just like kai's character um i'm sure uh, he'll grow on me but now he's just a young kid no yeah a little (laughs) punk um but i i love me a you know a rascal but uh yeah so and i love obviously the the little moments with zuko that we get which again could have been the next episode but it's fine um so yeah it's not like my favorite like i said it's not one that i would go back and watch just by itself but uh not bad so i would give this a solid 7.5 out of 10 nice well that brings us to the next episode episode four in harm's way this episode is because the writers kind of tried off uh trade off every every episode here it's written by josh hamilton a name we've seen many times before uh and directed by mel zwire who we've also seen come onto the uh onto the staff here just in uh just in chorus season three uh the episode is animated by studio mirror beautifully i don't know what it was that like this episode i felt like this episode in particular had like the a team from (laughs) studio mirror working on it it's gorgeous gorgeous animation well because it's mostly action and like it's there's a lot of action in this scene because it's basically a heist episode and okay but we had action in the last episode and it did not look like this but it wasn't like I mean, literally, the episode starts with the big action scene and then ends with a giant action scene. And, like, there's a little bit of filler in the middle, you know, that isn't action. But it's really an action-heavy episode. And those tend to be the episodes that they put their best work or their best uh, animators forward. Yeah, they, so. like, they call the guys in and they're like, yeah, we need you for this episode. It's got, we like... need you. Yeah, You're it's got... It's, <laughs> they're, like, that guy who worked on Jet and they just, like... They, yeah. they 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 light the pyres and they're just like gondor calls for aid studio yeah. mirror calls for aid he, he just stands and up and he's like, <laughs> yes 
<laughs> we love it. Yes. Very beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's great. Uh, every frame of this episode is gorgeous. Um, the episode aired July 11th, 2014, and the IMDb rating of In Harm's Way uh, is a very impressive 8.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Like, that's an 8.5, but I'm assuming they meant it to be, like, size 22 bold font 8.5. Like, come on. This is a great episode. Yeah, it is a really good one. Um, so I guess I'll just lead right into some fun facts. I only got two for this one, surprisingly. I thought it, there'd be more, but, um, the scene in which ming opens police cell door was inspired by an episode of MacGyver, which, uh, in which the titular character is trapped inside a meat locker and escapes by trickling melted ice water into the door lock as a means of breaking it once the water refroze. I've never watched MacGyver. I just know that, like, he, what but did you he did do? See, but you did see Ant-Man. I did. What Where he opens there? the vault in, in the basement that's like uh-huh. made of the same 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 yeah. steel as the Titanic. He does the exact same thing. He freezes the lock using uh, liquid nitrogen, and right. then it shatters, and he's able to get inside. Um, right. I... The whole thing with MacGyver is that he can like, y- you could put him in like a maximum security prison, and if you leave like a paperclip and a roll of duct tape, he'll like figure a way to use what is around him to get out. You know, it's so funny. <laughs> this has nothing to do with Avatar. But the only frame of reference that I have for MacGyver is actually from The Simpsons. Because Aunt Selma is obsessed. Like, Aunt Patty and Aunt Selma are obsessed with MacGyver. And anytime we go to their apartment in The Simpsons episodes, they're watching MacGyver. And they're always, like, fawning over him be like, oh, he's a genius. And I'm just like, <laughs> who's this guy? Like, I, I literally thought he was supposed to be, like, a cop or, like, a detective or something. But I guess yeah. not. <laughs> so that's literally the only thing i knew i was like yeah i know aunt patty and aunt selma from the simpsons love macgyver that's it yeah uh, but uh no that's a cool if that if that was uh meant to be a reference to that um i'm sure a lot of people that actually have seen macgyver have appreciated that um <laughs> and then our second and last fun fact is that there was supposed to be a flashback in this episode depicting the red lotus first kidnapping attempt of cora when but it ended up getting cut from the final storyboard again these flashbacks i want them <laughs> why are you cutting them ah uh, well especially because they're retreading so much history personal history between like mako and bolin with their family um this group which is apparently called the red lotus okay mm-hmm. yeah. um cool creative um i'm sure we'll get more history on that later um mm-hmm. but yeah they literally reference to like stuff in the past that they very easily could have built more intrigue on besides saying they tried to kidnap her when she was a baby of course it didn't work like alazuko <laughs> right yeah no i feel like that would have been a really cool cold open for an episode like at first we're not sure what's happening or where we are in the timeline. And then suddenly we see like baby, you know, four-year-old Cora or whatever, when we first see her, you know, in the very beginning of the show and it's like, an att- you know, an attempt to kidnap and, her. And, and it could have ended with her being put into the prison. Uh, uh, what's her name? How do you say her name? Pali? Yeah. Pali. Having her set in the prison, scowling through the bars, and then change from the flashback to modern day with her obviously looking older and being all chained right. up and everything and like full color instead of like Wizard of Oz sepia tone on the whole thing, <laughs> right. you know, you know? Yeah, it would have been so cool to have been able to see that. Like, I don't know, a missed opportunity again. <laughs> yeah, like great storytelling, you know, 
opportunity that you know it's fine fine like it is it's fine but like again yeah could have done when more. you know what could have happened or like what could have been that there was originally a scene that they had to cut from the final storyboard it's like damn <laughs> i wanted to see that at least an animatic yeah. or something <laughs> yeah yeah the but, uh, but the episode the, but the episode speaking of the red lotus and the the uh the power that they have the episode literally just opens with the jailbreak it opens mm -hmm. with them talking to her and then them being like oh there's this giant snowstorm on the way and they're like that snowstorm that's him and i'm just like and i'm just there cheering i'm like it's hurricane zaheer yes. it's making landfall it's coming for you baby <laughs> yeah yes and it's no. it's this astounding like fight scene jaw-dropping yeah like i love seeing all these characters that we've known from the previous seasons and even the previous show in the case of Zuko, you know, Tonrock, Eska, Desna, Zuko, they're all like fighting to, to like fend off the Red Lotus from it, you know, basically breaking out Pali. And, you know, they put up a good fight, but there's just no match. <laughs> and, you know, and especially because Zaheer has like, his power is like greater than the avatar. <laughs> yeah, bro. Bro's OP. <laughs> like this guy has never airbent a day in his life. He's like he's like the equivalent of someone book studying martial arts and being a master, like defeating Bruce Lee. Like mm -hmm. yeah, from basically. reading about martial arts. Yeah, like all the I mean, we've said this a million times, but all of the villains in Korra are just OP. <laughs> like insanely overpowered. Sad. Yes. Yeah. But it's so cool that we don't care. <laughs> or maybe, um, or maybe it's that they're on par to fight Aang and the absolute right. <laughs> just just roided up monsters that those kids were <laughs> and they're not around. Instead exactly. we have Korra and Mako and Bully. <laughs> <laughs> exactly they just look op by comparison um but, all, all uh, the like zaheer is pretty much like just flies in from the sky bring me Aang. <laughs> yes we love to see it Which, um, well it begs a very interesting question because you know we see zaheer and 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 the the other uh benders in what apparently is called the red lotus we see them do some interesting things with their bending we see the rock bending being like turning stuff into lava and we see uh really really quickly we see um gosh i can't remember her name the waterbender of the group mingwa mingwa thank you i meant to write it down we meant we meant for mingwa to or we see mingwa like do some amazing stuff really quickly changing like the states of the water in her arm and basically mm -hmm. using them like arms um maybe maybe this is one of those like hits blunt yes <laughs> question but so like okay. so hits blunt if if waterbenders can change the temperature of the water why can't and earthbenders can change the temperature of their earth why can't airbenders change the temperature of their air and firebenders change the temperature of their fire well they can can they <laughs> yeah because like so i don't know if you notice it's a very 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 subtle detail that only people that like know the deep knowledge of avatar but if you notice for instance, when um, Aang is in the North Pole, he never wears a parka or any kind of covering up. Like, he just wears his normal outfit. True. And the reasoning behind that is because he's able to control 
you know, his body temperature in the air around him to keep himself warm. Um, that's just one of those like avatar extra bubbles that popped up. And so it's little things like that. And as far as the fire goes, I kind of always thought that like, it's not confirmed or anything like with the airbending, but for Azula, her fire is blue, which is hotter than normal orange or red fire. So I kind of, in a way I was like, well, hotter, but also colder at the same time. Cause you know, when something gets so hot or so cold, it can feel like the opposite. You know what I mean? That's like, I don't know. Did you just try to logic why I, blue fire is hotter, even though it's a cooler color. Yes. <laughs> I don't think, also, I don't think science agrees with you on that one, but okay. The science it, checks out. Point. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, no, seriously, go off. Yeah, I want to know no. more about it. <laughs> no, I mean, this is just a, a line that's said in the show from Ira when he's explaining to Zuko about lightning and he calls it the cold blooded fire. And so like, I know he doesn't mean like literally cold, but like, you know, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. Okay. But, like it wouldn't be fire if it wasn't hot. You know what I mean? Like, I see. Okay. Here's my thing. I almost feel like narratively <laughs> on the show. I'm not, no, I'm not saying what any of what you're saying is not true. Uh -huh. I'm not saying anything of what you're saying is not true, but here's my thing. I actually, part of me thinks that the creative, the creative team who worked on Avatar actually doesn't care about the temperature of it. I think that in their logic, I would put money down that I think their logic probably was more like, well, ice is a form of water, so they can control that too. Well, lava is a form of rock, so they can control that too. And there's no other form of air or fire, so like we just don't see it. It just doesn't like the only other form of fire is lightning. So they like kind of got mm -hmm. into that, but like I think I bet you that's the reason why. I don't. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, like yeah, from a creative standpoint, it it's just like forms of. And here we are being like, I bet I could change the temperature higher or lower because my brain's like, why couldn't Aang just throw a wave of like five hundred degree? <laughs> 500 degree air and just cook somebody where they were standing. Why like, can you just air fry somebody? Because it's a kid's show, Todd. <laughs> that we're ama I was, I'm amazed that they got away with bloodbending, of all things. <laughs> like, okay, right? But what if you change the temperature of someone's blood? <laughs> this is like the, uh, what's it called? Cinema Sins. Like, why didn't you just freeze all of them to death? Like, <laughs> pop their blood vessels like bro it's a kid's show they're kids they are murder machines but not that hardcore <laughs> just 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 cora skating through the final battle just popping everyone's like brain giving everyone brain bleed just actual aneurysms oh jesus I'm sure that they could. If it was a rated R show, we'd be seeing that shit everywhere. Well, that's the thing. I'm amazed that, that people, and I know the context, you know, kid show, not kid showing Cora, but like that, what's right. his name? The bloodbender <laughs> criminal. He, he was bloodbending everyone in the courtroom. He couldn't have just like clotted their brains in the second and just murdered everyone in the room. The guy could psychically affect the blood flow of every person in that room. Mm -hmm. Unhinged. Yeah. And again, if it was rated R, I'm sure we would have seen blood coming out of everyone's ears, nose, eyes. Like, okay, it what, 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 if the, what if the amazing twist was that the next Avatar series is going to air on uh, Amazon? 
Invincible. By the makers of Invincible. Avatar. It's just Tenzin yelling at whoever's the next Avatar. Oh, God. I wouldn't mind. Like, I know that this might be a hot take or whatever because it is meant to be a kid ship i wouldn't mind kind of like with star wars to see a rated r version of my favorite thing being avatar or star wars like i would love to see it be taken in a darker direction not permanently obviously but yeah, like yeah, yeah. just like a one-off <laughs> like a one-off rated r avatar or avatar movie. Like, a, like an avatar like one hour special where it's just like <laughs> right. a- a- adults only <laughs> Avatar Ava- after hours. Ava- Thank you. Avatar after hours. God. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I just wanted to ask because, I mean, while it opens up some very, very dark possibilities for, for the show, and you know, maybe they'll do that for the third Avatar show. Who knows? We might actually get the Avatar after hours after all. Who knows? <laughs> Who, we we don't know hope. who's listening. We right. can only hope. Mike and Brian, we hope you're listening. Get on it. <laughs> <laughs> Make it happen. Um, but also, you know, in the whole battle, I gotta tell you, I know Zuko's old, but I was kind of surprised that this is the man who, like, held his own against Azula, and he's like, eh, eh, fire, oh no, I've been knocked down. Taking L's, it's like Zuko's lot in life. <laughs> Right? Like we see so many power we see so many powerful old men in Avatar. <laughs> and here's Zuko. And I'm like, come on, man, you can do it. You can still get it up. Yeah, he's uh yeah. <laughs> he's tired. He's an old man. He wants to go home. He's cold. <laughs> <laughs> he wants some applesauce. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean, it's still cool to see him in action, even if, you know, very briefly and he still ends up losing. But again, that's just in character for Zuko, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, that was the only like slightly disappointing thing about the fight scene. I mean, obviously, this is no season finale or anything, but like we we, while we see Uncle Iroh do some absolutely show stopping stuff and he's Mm -hmm. not even the son of Fire Lord Ozai. Like, you know what I mean? Like Zuko, Zuko danced with the dragons, man. And, like exactly. I expected him to do something like incredible and powerful as a show that he's like still got this massive power and then to be obviously put down by the greater power of the uh, Red Lotus. But instead right. I was like, really guys, you beat up an old man. Not cool. <laughs> Not cool. Like <laughs> it, it kind of turned into that. So I was a tiny bit let down by that. I was like, oh Zuko. <laughs> My poor boy. Look how they massacred my boy. <laughs> back to the back to the tea shop. Yes. But uh I absolutely love just a little thing, but um so Mingwa breaks Pali out and you know they're out on the icy tundra or whatever. And I absolutely love the shot of the dragon, of Zuko's dragon firebending to Pali, and she's able to redirect it like a waterbender, you know, because that's if you're if you're a really really talented bender you're able to pull influence from all the other elements um mm-hmm. even if you can't bend them and to me it looked like she was redirecting like a waterbender would yeah. um and it's just gorgeous it's such a gorgeous shot like the way that the fire lights up the night and i'm just like oh that's like mm-hmm. animation porn to me damn yeah um, <laughs> so good yes and then of course you know she's a combustion bender so she blasts the poor dragon um but uh yeah and they end up escaping 
And, you know, so here in Pali, they got a little makeout session because they haven't seen each other in 13 years. <laughs> really, love, right now. <laughs> really, right now. I love that. If not now, then when, dude? They've been waiting for 13 years to do this. Like, chill. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And then that leads into, you know, the rest of the story. <laughs> Which, like, it's, it's, it's such a funny thing to, like, have that whole break at the beginning of the episode and then kind of almost nothing comes of it later because like we don't really see any of them again mm-hmm. the whole thing again it's just a really funny little parentheses between like the little 60 seconds from the previous episode they had to do with zuko and everybody and then this like opening i don't know five minutes mm-hmm. of this episode and then like that's it it's just like it's here's, here's what the villains are up to Show-stopping. Amazing. Incredible. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. But, like, uh, it, uh, it's, just, it's just funny. Not even a negative thing. I just, I laugh at it. That it's just, like, a little section of, like, the whole Red Lotus thing that's brewing very mm-hmm. clearly in this episode to take, you know, take us through the rest of the season. Um, well, if you think about but, it, that's that's what the Red Lows has been up to this point is a bunch of really awesome scenes that are disconnected from the rest yeah. of the story. Like think about the, the opening episode, mm-hmm. you know, breath of fresh air, the end of the episode, like the episode ended with Zaheer escaping. And like, right. that didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the story. Same with breaking out Gazan and Mingwa. Right. It's just kind of like, these are cool breakout scenes that can show off their skill and how talented right. these vendors are and how they work as a team and all that. Um, but so far, I mean, they haven't met the hero right. yet. They, you know, we haven't had any interaction with him or not with him, but with the Red Lotus with Korra. And so it does feel kind of disconnected. Not that that's a bad thing. It just. Oh, know. no. I just I just suddenly became aware of it in this episode mm-hmm. with there being such yeah. a long gap and it being so central. And I think the interaction, it's interesting you said that. I think it's the interaction with known like protagonists that we're aware of you know with desna and eska with zuko with um tar uh, uh tan rock tan rock his name is so close to tar lock <laughs> that's very easy tan rock um they they in, are finally interacting with characters that we know and like so mm-hmm. again it, it i think it made me more starkly aware of how much relevance they did or didn't have to like the rest of the story i guess right. um because yeah, we know we don't even encounter that again later until in the middle of everything, Lin shows up later in the middle of all the Earth Kingdom intrigue. Lin shows up mm-hmm. and is just like, "Hey, by the way, there's a whole other storyline happening here in the season." And Korra's like, "Nah, nah, nah, nah. We gotta wrap this one up first. It's like, right? <laughs> you know, Joshua Hamilton came knocking at Tim Hedrick's door. He's like, "Hey, man, I got this other storyline of there." just let it happen like we have to wrap up the bossing there's we're doing some bossing say stuff here right now so like can you wait until we're done right exactly (laughs) yeah yeah and you know the whole rest of the episode is basically just a big breakout you know heist scene of getting the airbenders (laughs) out from under you know the palaces um in the earth kingdom and (laughs) so Janora still has (laughs) we're gonna talk about Janora. She still has the spirit astral projection power from harmonic convergence, which to me is like, whatever. It seems kind of like a very giant cop out, but it is whatever. It's better than her showing up magically to like defeat Vatu, whatever. Um, So 
Yeah, but she Asha projects to the first place that everyone figured that the you know that the airbenders were being kept by the Earth Queen, uh, which is Lake Laogai. And we know the audience, if you've seen Avatar, that Lake Laogai was destroyed by the Dai Li basically directly after you know the events of the episode Lake Laogai. And so she aspro aspro astro projects. I can't say astro prorex, but <laughs> she astro prorex. Um, yes, just to own it um, into Lake Laogai. And fun fact: one of the rooms that she astro projects into is the room that Jet died in. And now mm. this is my sick ass brain. I wanted to see a skeleton. I wanted just like with Professor Zay. Can you? Oh, the hairs on my neck stood up when you said that. Who? Oh man, I would have. I would have cried. I've been like, Jet, no, he's still down there. <laughs> like, and it's oh man, I I was so sick. I'd be like, that's so bad. But I mean, they showed Professor Zay's de- decomposing, rotting corpse. Yes. Yeah. Like, why not? I guess because it's a kid. But like, I mean, it technically, didn't his two friends stay down there with him too? Shouldn't it be three skeletons down there? I don't think that like they did stay with him, but I think they only stayed with him until he died. Like they didn't want him to die alone in a hole under a lake. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so that was just like the first time I watched the episode, I immediately recognized that room. I was like, oh shit, can you imagine if they just showed a skeleton and like there's no context, Hor- like but horrifying. only people that know know, Amazing. <laughs> right? If you know, um, you know. Exactly. Um, but uh, Hashtag, yeah, so, if you know, you know. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but uh, yeah, so she astral projects into you know the catacombs below the Earth Kingdom Palace, and uh, she finds Kai. And so Team Avatar knows where all the Airbenders are being kept, and Kai is being kept separately because he's a bad boy and he's not listening to the Dai Li. Um, and so they like throw him into solitary confinement or whatever. So he's separated from all the uh, airbenders. And so the team mm-hmm. avatar, they break up into two groups. One goes for Kai and one goes for the rest of the airbenders. And we get a big old breakout scene. I don't know. They should have kept him down there a little bit longer, in my opinion. <laughs> I think the kid needed... I mean, so I thought I was going to revisit this, but, like, I kind of loved the whole, like, pitting the airbenders against each other to, like, train them. Number one, very clearly, even though part of my mind went, oh, well, that's not very good to, like, train them to only care about themselves. Like, they're a, an army. They're supposed to care about each other, watch each other's back. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it dawned on me two seconds later that I'm like, this isn't military training. They're psychologically breaking them at this point. Yeah. Like, they're, <laughs> they need they need to frustrate them and break them in order to make them compliant, right. subservient, good soldiers. Um which, by the way, when he was like, no, no, no mercy. And then Kai immediately turns around and, like, blasts the other kid. I was just like, good soldiers, follow orders. Oh, my God. <laughs> my, now Kai's getting it. Yeah. It was, like a, it was, like, scared straight. Like, those things where, like, they take these delinquent kids and, like, put them in, like, actual prison. And the inmates are, like, really mean to them. And, like, the staff is, like, super verbally abusive to them. And the kid's, like, you know... Mm-hmm. It was like that. It was like an episode of that show. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I kind of wish... I don't know. I I kind of wish that they spent more time. Like, maybe Kai could have gotten captured halfway through the last episode. Like, maybe that could have been, like, the main storyline. And, like, Korra and Asami mm-hmm. are, like... Everybody's trying to find him. They all get separated trying to find him. Right. And, like, so we could have seen him... 
I know that it's supposed to be like a big cliffhanger that he gets captured by the Dai Li at the very end of the episode, but like that could have been a midpoint thing. And then we could have seen a bit more of the training and like, cause that's interesting. Like the thought of bringing, you know, these earth kingdom citizens that now have this ability to airbend and like you said, psychologically breaking them to make them into a militia, you know, like an airbending force is a cool idea, but we just don't get enough time with it. <laughs> like, you know, again, I would have loved to have seen some brainwashing being brought back from the Dai Li and like, you know, but uh, yeah, so anyway. Don't you also love, by the way, how Korra, this is now at least the second, if not the third time in the series, that Korra has gotten tipped off to the exact details of the rich, powerful villain's plans purely on a hunch or a rumor right <laughs> do you remember in season one where they uncover like what's his name asami's father's like entire yeah. thing on like a hunch that he might be evil <laughs> and now mako and bolin go to the ghetto and they're like yeah man like the dai li somebody said that the dai li came and got the new airbender and he was never heard from again it's like it's, it's they i love this line they say that she's taking all the airbenders away into a secret place to train them as her army and mako blingo oh, they well they must know so they go and tell cora the earth queen is building an army out of airbenders kidnapped by the tiley as if they know this authoritatively and didn't hear it third hand from their estranged family that they just met mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, yeah, that's kind of a, a leap, <laughs> a bit. <laughs> like, I didn't even... It dawned on me when 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 Mako, uh, Bolin came back and started mumbling everything at the start of the episode, I'm like, yeah, that is a really, like, that's a lot of information they got just, like, off the streets, passed across a family dinner table. <laughs> exactly. Thank God it turned out to be true. <laughs> like, imagine if they were fed false information. <laughs> I thought to myself when they went to the palace, what if it wasn't a huge coincidence that they bumped into the family? What if the family was staged and there was all this, like, what if they weren't actually family? What if they were, like, paid actors, uh, mm -hmm. paid off by the queen what, to, like, trap them and feed them false information? Right. Yeah, well, that actually could have worked because if you remember, I can't remember if it's in this episode or the last episode, but Grandma Yin, she has, like, a like a picture of the queen and she yeah, was like shrine, yeah like she was like praying to her whatever like she clearly is obsessed with the yeah. queen so like not not maliciously but just because she's so devoted yeah. to the earth queen that could have been like a well, you know selling her grandchildren and you know, out. And, 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 you know what, and you know what would have been great would have been when mako and bolin go to get on the train to go back mm -hmm. and they're like oh my wallet's stolen and mako even mentions it a few times where he's like oh he stole your wallet i had a lot of money in that <laughs> wallet what if what if Kai didn't steal his wallet? Mm -hmm. What if they tried to get on the train and the conductor was an operative of the Dai Li who stole his wallet? He's like, wait, where do you think you guys are going? And then they reach for their wallets and the wallets are mm -hmm. gone. Not because Kai stole it, but because the Dai Li wanted to direct them there right. to their family to be fed false information. <laughs> it would have turned the episode from like a two-episode arc into like a four-episode <laughs> right. arc. Can't trust but, anything. But it would have been awesome. Like, because that kind of follows through with the whole theme of like, 
you know, this dystopian world that Ba Sing Se is and the Dai Li in control of everything and everyone, like that would have been really cool if, if it had been like their real family, but they were all either brainwashed or they were just under the influence and like, you know, of the Earth Queen and the Dai Li mm-hmm. and everything. They were too scared to like, like they basically would sell out their their grandkids or their, you know, family. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that would have been really cool. <laughs> no, I kind of wish that we'd seen that alternate reality. <laughs> <laughs> not us rewriting the script on every single core <laughs> episode this is getting to be this is getting out of hand out so <laughs> we are doing this every ever <laughs> yeah um but, but the breakout against the daily was great um the the, the entire- hallway fight yes oh my god so i good. love me a hallway fight in avatar slash legend of korra they are some of my favorite fights they're always so short i want them longer but they're so well before done before there was the daredevil hallway fight before there was the punisher <laughs> the frank castle hallway fight before there was the darth vader hallway fight <laughs> there, <laughs> there was, was legend of korra yes it was here we got there first because I don't know if I'm, I'm sure you do remember because it wasn't that long ago, but in season two, towards the end, they had that like 20, 30 second hallway fight with Unalak. Like it was Korra, mm-hmm. Mako, and Bolin. And it was so great. Like, oh, and, oh, and, and let's not forget the entire final fight against Amon was Mako and Korra yeah, in the hallway. In a hallway. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, I don't know what it is about like having these incredibly skilled benders in like close quarters mm-hmm. and not being able to like go all out with their bending. Like they got to be smart and precise about it yeah. and quick because they're in close quarters. And it's like, it's just so cool and to see Mako and Boleyn like trading off, taking, not taking, but giving blows mm-hmm. and like, you know, just working together to take out the daily. I'm just like, ah, oh, I love this shit. It's so good. I feel <laughs> like, I feel like the last two seasons of Korra, uh, really highlighted Mako and how powerful he is. He was doing lightning bending in season one. He had some really impressive fire bending in season two. But I feel like season three, we haven't seen him do a whole lot. I think the most impressive fire bending he did was when he was acting for the people in the Earth Kingdom. <laughs> right. You <laughs> like, will <reap> my fire. <laughs> but Bolin is really shown. Like, there was that whole escape to get onto the airship, and he literally did this. And I think he's already done this, like, two or three times, where he creates, like, mm-hmm. that, that, like, the- right, he launches them on that pedestal of stone, like, through the air, like an air mm. ram. Like, it's awesome. Yeah, and if you remember in the finale of Avatar, Toph did the same thing so that they could get onto the airships, like you know, with us uh, with uh, Suki and Sokka. Yeah. Like she point to the nearest airship, she can't see shit. She just throws them into the air. But uh, <laughs> they could yeah, literally really, really die, cool. <laughs> and she does it. Yeah. Um. But uh. Yeah. So it, it is really cool to see you know Mako and Bolin especially getting more shine mm. in terms of like their fighting and their bending and all that. Right. Um. And then, but yeah, thought, so everybody... I, I thought it was a really oh, cool, just as a real brief note, since, like, we talked about the very end of the escape, also a really cool moment that I kind of, like, almost wish they made a little more of was the Dai Li all standing there like a firing squad, and then all of the airbenders turning and fighting back against them. I almost kind of wanted the airbenders to literally fully overcome them and not to, like, uh-huh. be holding them back while everybody one by one retreated until it's basically right. just Korra and Tenzin, like, holding back all of the Dai Li and, like, Mm-hmm. okay it would have been great if they like just you know just ripped them all away just threw them off the top of the structure or whatever you know yeah i mean i think that 
I, I totally get what you're saying. I do like that they're not able to just completely wipe them out because, again, they're all novices. They're new airbenders. They barely know how to use their power. I think it's more of just, like, in the moment, like, their emotions are overcoming them and oh, they're yeah. scared. And so they're able to just barely hold off the Dai Li. Um, I'm only saying, but, like, uh, yeah, almost like in a... Let me say this like this. I only I only say it because I think number one, it would be an awesome spectacle, a show of unity that they tried to pit the airbenders against each other when they were in captivity. And so how fitting and ironic would it be for them to work together all on the same team where the visual of the Dai Li forcing them to throw air at each other and instead all of them mm. uniting to defeat the Dai Li. Plus in the fact that the on a technicality, the uh, earthbenders can only throw individual pieces through the air. Airbenders mm. bending air and bending air and bending air makes a air mass. It's a conglomerate. It's not like they're throwing bits of air. So all of them right. combined together should be multiplying the force of the air. Multiple airbenders should make one powerful wave. Not everyone's not throwing an right. individual air wave. I just thought it could have worked. I I would have been very satisfied to watch them literally overcome them as kind of mm -hmm. retribution for what they did to them in captivity. That's all. Oh yeah, for sure. It would have been a very cool moment, very you know triumphant moment for them. Um, but uh, yeah, and then so they all managed to escape, and Kai and Janora share a little kiss, very cute, um, and then. Basically, they they get away from the Earth Kingdom because, like, fuck that place. <laughs> yeah, because Tenzin's like, and, and, and Tenzin asks them, "Hey, who wants to go back to the Earth Kingdom?" And everyone's like, "No, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, uh, we're gonna go with you, thanks." <laughs> and so, um, all the Airbenders decide to go off with Tenzin and Korra and her crew. They all go in a different direction because I can't. Is it the Northern Air Temple that they're going to? I can't remember if it's the North or the South. Um, but uh. Tenzin's going to the air temple with the airbenders and Korra and the crew are going to find more airbenders all around the earth kingdom. And that leads us to the next two episodes. And I'm so excited. Oh my so gosh. My favorite. Hyped up so much. The hype level is super high. Well, this, <laughs> this episode, I got to give it overall. It's just, it, and, and it's skewed because like the episode is good, but it's mostly good because the action is awesome. Cause that's the majority mm -hmm. of the content of the episode. Uh, very rewatchable, re very cool, very fun. Um, mm. um, no, I'm going to give it a solid, like, 8.2. I'll give it an 8.2. All right, not bad. Um, I'm actually going to agree with IMDb today uh, on this episode with 8.5, because I didn't, like, the only thing that I really remembered about this episode before rewatching it today was the opening with Sahir breaking out Pali. Um, but watching it now, like, I forgot how much like action there was and like how, you know, high the stakes are. And, you know, obviously they've got a bunch of great individual scenes of action, like the hallway scene. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I actually like this episode a lot more than I thought I would just from what I remembered. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'd give it a solid 8.5 out of 10, just like IMDb. Nice. Yeah, no, I mean the the episode most importantly showed us that mako and boland's grandma survived which i was very worried about <laughs> as you know i know i was waiting for it i was like wow are we not gonna go back to our grandma joke oh no no we had to we, we <laughs> yeah. absolutely have to in fact i'm still scared about her for that she's still in bossing say 
And as long as this is going to be an issue, which you confirmed, True. you've also just confirmed I need to be worried about her all the way into season four. So, so thanks, Amanda. Right. <laughs> I'll be thinking about well, that at three that. in the morning. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, we have to keep her safe. Gra gr 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 granny, what's her name? Granny Yin. Granny Yin has to live. Yeah, Grandma Yin. Grandma Yin has to live. <laughs> That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.